What's up there, Bears fans? Welcome back to another episode of The Tailgate Show on the Brawl Network. We are back. It is double A, A-A-R-O-N-T-O-R on Twitter. We have B Diddy, B Quinn 34 on Twitter. We have Air Jer, Jeremy Kramer, Air Jer 54 on Twitter. And a very special guest returning to the show. It's been a minute since he's been here. It's Mr. Mark Schofield. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening, gentlemen. How's everybody doing tonight? Good, man. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I'm alive. I survived a week in Mobile, which is more I can more than I can say for some of my trips down to Mobile. Let's put it that way. <laughs> How was that experience down there? Um, it, it's a fantastic time. If you get a chance to go down, I highly recommend it. Um, Jim Nagy, uh, the former NFL scout, current executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, he's done a tremendous job at really sort of opening up the experience to all kinds of media outlets, big and small. You don't have to be you know, somebody from a four-letter or a three-letter network to get onto the field, to talk to the players before and after practice, to, you know, go to the media day and things like that. And they, they give you a tremendous amount of access. And, you know, he, by catering to outlets big and small, you know, Jim's been able to promote the game, which I, I think was a really smart move on his part. But it's a fantastic part of the evaluation process to get a chance to talk to some of these guys, get a chance to hear from some of these quarterbacks, hear from guys like Adam Trotman, who I think was one of the winners of Senior Bowl Week, Ben Barch, the D3 offensive lineman from St. John's, Minnesota, uh, another guy fantastic to talk to. So it's a great time, and away from the practice field and stuff, it's great to catch up with people in and around this business, uh, catch up with friends old and new, um, spend a little bit too much time at the bars, try not to close them down. As a 43-year-old as a man, it's getting harder and harder to do things like that. Uh, but it's a fantastic time, and if you get a chance to come down to Mobile, I highly recommend it. So, uh, since you survived Mobile, how did you survive Mitch? <laughs> <laughs> let's let's just dive right into it, folks. Yeah, let's not waste you any were time. Tasked, you were tasked with the mission impossible to watch a full season of Mitch Trubisky and evaluate. Well, yeah. here you go. <laughs> I mean, you guys asked me before we hit record how much time we had, and if you want the entire answer to that, we might need to bump up the minutes here. Um, <laughs> look, I behind me, you, you guys on the video, you can see behind me I've got a shelf of all sorts of stuff, and on there is last season's Bears preview magazine for Pro Football Weekly where I wrote that I was betting on Mitch Trubisky this year, and in a – Second career of trying to avoid hot takes. That may have been my hottest, perhaps my most scorching take. And it's one that backfired incredibly because what we saw from Mitch Trubisky this year was the same quarterback we saw last year at times. And in, honestly, guys, the same quarterback we saw at UNC. And, you know, this has now been my fifth senior bowl. This is sort of my fifth draft, my sixth draft cycle, I guess. The more I, I study quarterbacks and evaluate quarterbacks and think about the quarterback position, the more I'm coming to realize that sometimes these guys just are who they are. And you probably remember it was a thread that Seth Kalina put together on Mitch just having sort of vapor rock lock brain freeze on a simple curl concept. And he was doing that at UNC. And, you know, I remember almost the exact same play. And I wrote about it for PFW where he had – Three receivers to the left, simple curl concept. Inside number three was uncovered. Slot corners over number two. He's thinking pre-snap, I'll just throw the curl to number three. Other snap, slot corner jumps number three. Now number two is wide open, and he freezes. He doesn't know what to do. He looks backside, ends up taking a sack. 
that's what he's still doing. You know, and going into this year, I remember being on Locked on Bears with Lauren Cox, and he was telling me, you know, what's going to be sort of your your measuring stick for Trubisky this year? What are the things you're going to be looking for? And we're like, well, you know, reading coverages and avoiding those mistakes when he just doesn't know what to do with the football. And then on open night, simple cover forward, he stares down, you know, Allen Robinson and Darnell Savage, the rookie free safety for Green Bay, almost picks him off. I mean, it's this continued pattern of mistakes that we're now into the point of his career where you can't assume it's going to get coached up and coached out of him. And so we're left at a point where they don't have the ability to draft somebody early. Yeah, there are opportunities in free agency. Maybe you can convince with the cap space you have Tom Brady to come and win a championship playing outdoors in Chicago. I mean, that's possible. And with Dante Scarnecchia's retirement today, maybe it's a bit more likely than what it was yesterday when the sun came up. And so you're left with signing sort of a second tier, perhaps free agent veteran quarterback like an Andy Dalton. You know, assuming he hits the market, we expect that or Marcus Mariota or something like that or drafting somebody on day two and hoping that some competitive toughness emerges in Trubisky. But it's been an underwhelming season, I think. And I don't think I'm sort of speaking out of turn when I say that. I was, I was hoping for more. I was betting on more. It didn't materialize. And now we're left to sort of piece it back together. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, what you said is obviously true. We've been talking about it. I suppose the the major difference, I think, between what you said and what we've mostly been hearing is this idea that he regressed. When it sounds to me, when you think about it and you look about the full body of work, he never really progressed, and he's sort of just status quo at the end of the day, and now we're just a year further down the line. There's more tape on him. There's more tape on Nagy, and then when you <clears throat> add in the regression of the rest of the team, it, it's basically um, – you know, it's basically what you're left with. Uh, the biggest thing that I well, – most troubling thing about him was – he stopped being able to run, and and so that or he stopped or he stopped choosing to run. I don't know if he wasn't able or if he wasn't choosing to or if he was so sort of uh, dead set on staying in the pocket and trying to be a pocket passer. I don't know. I mean, we've talked about it on the show that I think one of his issues is that he's very OCD and. He kind of, I think he's, you know, fairly limited uh, in his processing. And so when you give him a new set of information, some other information falls out. And I think that's kind of like what happened is he got so uh, so caught up on this idea that he needed to become a pocket passer that he almost forgot how to run. And then he got hurt. And the combination of those two things just left you with, you know, what you got, which was just completely uneven with the Mitch roller coaster. And then, you know, no tight ends, offensive yeah. line, blah, blah, blah. But don't, I guess don't, I, don't know, make say. excuses for him, man. It was bad. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you're, was I'm not bad. making excuses for him. I'm saying he became the same guy and worse. And then the team got worse around him. It felt like, except for Allen Robinson. Yeah. Aaron, those are all great points. And I, I think you almost start to wonder if a bit of sort of quicksand set in where, you know, we all know the line from the replacements with Shane Falco, played by Keanu Reeves, is talking about how you make a mistake, you make a bunch of mistakes, you start fighting against it, you start trying to do too much, and it's like you're, you know, caught in quicksand. And you almost get the sense watching him where, like you said, he was trying so hard to be that pocket passer that people were hoping he was going to be, that he forgot some of the things that got him drafted second overall. The athleticism, the ability to create a little bit with his legs, the ability to throw 
at times on the move. But one of the things that has kind of been there constantly with him is the ability to throw moving to his left and to his right. I know he had a bad interception his rookie year against Detroit in a Saturday night game where the mechanics weren't there moving left. But over the rest of his time in Chicago, the mechanics have cleaned up when he's been thrown to his left. And so, you know, I wrote midseason over PFW that they should just turn him into, for lack of a better phrase, the NFL's best wing T quarterback. Like, let him run. Let him do things like that. And, yeah, he had the shoulder injury, and maybe there was some of that at play. But... These are the things that got him here, and he forgot, I think, in a sense, who he was, and we saw that play out on the field this year. Yeah, I and mean, it's just uh, frustrating, frustrating to watch. And then, you know, I think you bring up quicksand, and I think the the biggest victim of the quicksand was probably Nagy yeah. being caught in the quicksand of Mitch, you know, uh, because I feel like he's a guy that probably does very well at practice. Like, I believe Nagy when he says that, because Nagy will say in the press conferences that, you know, he looks good in practice, although in the training camp, that wasn't really the case. But I don't know why Nagy would go out of his way to say that he could do something in practice and then he really can't. I just feel like that's the one who got caught in quicksand trying to unlock Mitch. And, you know, um, I mean, he's just there's times where uh, Nagy is very much uh, a an arena quarterback calling plays, you know, where it's like, I'm going to throw my way out of this problem. And he just doesn't have the guy to do it. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly a case to be made. Like you said, you know, they didn't get help inside on position. You know, they needed some help on the offensive line. Matt Nagy seemed to rely on the passing game as the answer to all the problems. But when you do that, you have to have a quarterback that can make the reads and make the throws. And this year, Chicago didn't have one. Will they have that guy in Mitchell and somebody else next year? That remains to be seen. Now, do they, Pace kind of made it seem to the fan base like they're sticking with Mitch, but he he was kind of hesitant on the question about picking up the fifth year. I mean, do you, outside looking in, do you really see them not making any improvement at the position or bringing in competition and just rolling with Mitch? I mean, I think you have to at least look to upgrade behind him. You know, with Chase Daniel in that situation there, I think you at least have to look at somebody that can be able to come in and push Trubisky and, if necessary, win the job from him at some point, whether during training camp by just performing better or Trubisky faltering yet again next season and decide, look, you know, we've seen enough. And so I... I understand that Pace, during you know, the year-end presser, said, look, you know, he's still our starting quarterback and said all the things about Mitch Trubisky. Obviously, we know the history. He was saying things like that about Mike Glennon. I think right now he is your starting quarterback, for better or for worse. And now you have to look at upgrading throughout the offense and the defense, both sides of the ball, where you can. And get in some competition in behind Mitch Trubisky, somebody that's more... I don't want to say proven, but at least has shown at times to be capable of playing the position, at least on a more somewhat consistent basis. It's probably job one. Now, the free agent market, there's a lot of dominoes to fall. Um, you know, whether it's Brady, whether it's Rivers, players like that, or that sort of second tier guys like, you know, Dalton or Mariota or even Winston, who knows what they're doing down in Tampa Bay. And so there are a lot of dominoes to fall. Would some of those guys be upgrades? Yeah. Would some of them be upgrades or, or perhaps, you know, lateral moves? Perhaps. Maybe Andy Dalton would be something like that. But getting something, somebody like in that spot behind him, maybe that unlocks something Trubisky where he suddenly realizes, okay, this isn't going to be handed to me now. You know, it's not like I've got Chase Daniel behind me. Now I've got somebody that's been a starter in this league or is drafted high or is maybe an agent veteran that 
is on the end of a pretty good career. And so I've really got to sort of step up my game. Maybe that works. I don't know. Maybe that's just sort of, you know, throwing good bet, you know, money after bad. I don't know, but they have to address something because, you know, rolling with the quarterback room they have right now, I don't think is an answer. Do you think uh, in your time at the senior bowl, did you notice any quarterback play? We had Patrick Sheldon on from the Windy City FS, and he's really high on the uh, Washington State kid. Uh, any thoughts to support <laughs> yeah. or? Anthony Gordon, I love him, um, but he's a roller coaster. And I don't know if the phrase roller coaster of a quarterback is something Chicago Bears fans are really psyched about hearing for somebody that could come in after Mitchell Trubisky. He's fascinating to watch in that we're getting to that time in our lives where, and this was something that Justice Muscata tweeted out, I was like a year or so ago, you know, guys that grew up watching and idolizing Montana, like Tom Brady, they're cycling out of the league. And the guys that grew up, you know, and I hate to say this, guys, but in Justice's words, the guys that grew up idolizing Brett Favre, they're now coming into the league. And that's guys like Patrick Mahomes. And they're going to be a little bit more risky. And it's going to be fun to watch these guys play football. Well, now the kids in college, who are they watching? They're watching Mahomes. And so if you turn on Anthony Gordon, you'll see him do things like no-look passes sometimes when he doesn't even need to do it. You'll see him drop the arm ankle sometimes when he doesn't even need to do it. He's an incredibly fun player to watch and to study and to evaluate. He's A lot of people have said, oh, he might be the next Gardner Minshew. They're almost opposites at the quarterback position. One of the reasons I really liked Minshew was you would see him go through a four or five progression read, full field, left sideline to right sideline, and the feet are always under him. He's moving through his reads. He's always ready to throw, somewhat like Joe Burrow in that sense. Gordon's a statue in the pocket. His feet will basically just stay planted as he scans the field from sideline to sideline. And if the feet move with him when he decides to throw, great. Most of the time they don't, and he still puts the ball sometimes, for the most part, where it needs to be. He had a roller coaster days, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, down in Mobile. You know, he had two giggle-worthy moments down in Mobile, one on Wednesday, well, both of them on Wednesday, where during team, they run a boot concept, he's rolling out to the right, he swims over an edge defender who was unblocked with the football, swimming over the guy with his football in his hand, and then throws a dart on a cross route in between, like, three different defenders for a huge play. And it's one of those where everybody giggles, it's amazing, you don't know how it happened. And then a couple of minutes later, I'm shooting a video of him, it's a divide crossing concept. One guy's on the post to one side, one guy on the post to the other, and he throws it right down the middle of the field. And I tweeted out, I'd have to put a not safe for work tag on it because Seth Kalina behind me is swearing his head off, saying, how could he not at least hit one of those guys? They're both wide open. He's a roller coaster. But I think in terms of a scheme fit for what Chicago does, when you get to that sort of second tier of quarterbacks, there are two guys I think would be good schematic fits. One is Gordon, and the other is Jake Fromm. And Jake Fromm might not be a sexy name. It might not move the needle. But here's the thing about Jake Fromm. You put him in an offense like Matt Nagy's, he's not going to make a ton of mistakes. He's going to throw the football where it needs to be, when it needs to be there. He's going to read the defenses the right way. He's going to get the ball out on time, in rhythm. And he's played in some big games. And so between those two guys, I see some guys that can come in and push Mitch Trubisky as rookies and potentially wrestle that job away from him should he falter sometime late in the season. Yeah, I feel like the move right now is, uh, you know, a veteran that doesn't cost that much. Somebody like a Keenum or maybe a um, Matt Moore um, as your backup. And then you draft a guy and you carry three quarterbacks. I mean, that's what that's what I would do. 
Um, you know, and I, I don't really know why, but I just you I think you said it. Fromm is not a sexy pick, but you know when you start looking at how much he's played and the games he's played in, you know, and obviously Pace loves Georgia guys, and we've got you know Wims and Ridley here now, you know, so Fromm makes a lot of sense. But I guess the question is, is where did those two guys go in the draft? Are they? fourth fifth round guys are they second round guys or is, can you not tell because you don't know how it's going to break yeah i mean we always see quarterbacks get pushed up boards and coming out of mobile the thinking now is you know we're probably going to see four guys in the top 15 you know uh, we can pretty much pencil or at least or pen or maybe even sharpie burrow in at one although there are people that wonder about Perhaps Justin Herbert to Cincinnati at one, given how we fared down in Mobile. I don't subscribe to that. I think Burrow is the guy. But either way, quarterback at one. The dark sort of rumor around Mobile is that the league's not quite convinced that two is healthy, so his medicals will be big. But provided they check out, he's coming off the board in the top five at some point. Um, maybe to somebody at three getting up ahead of the Dolphins. Maybe the Dolphins themselves at three or five. And I think now with Philip Rivers on his way out with you know the Chargers – Justin Herbert might make a lot of sense there. And that's three in the top six. And then you look at that 12, 13, 14 run, you know, Vegas, what are they going to do with Derek Carr? Indianapolis at 13, Tampa Bay with a decision to make about Winston at 14. Those could be some landed spots for Jordan Love. And so, you know, we see quarterbacks get pushed up. You know, could Easton sneak into the back half of the first round, perhaps? And then you get into that Jalen Hurts, Anthony Gordon, Jake Fromm kind of range. And so, if these guys do get pushed up, you might see Fromm be a second-round guy. I think he's probably more of a third, you know, if you grade him in a vacuum. And I think Gordon is more of a fourth or a fifth, you know, an early day three type guy. But if QBs get moved up boards, they might come off sooner than you think. And then when you look at Chicago with the picks that they have, when are they going to be comfortable or feel like they need to address quarterback? Would they do it with that pick in the second round? And that if they do, it might have to be Fromm. Now, completely hypothetical, I've gone back and forth with the guys on this guy. If Teddy Bridgewater is available, just for some reason, it sounds like Breeze may end up retiring. I'm sure they'll lock Bridgewater up. But if Teddy's available, how, how do you think he'd fit in Matt Nagy's offense? You know, I think he'd be a pretty good fit. Um, you know, I think if you look back at what he's done this year, and I wrote about it um, for Pro Football Weekly when we started thinking about some veteran-type options, you know, I, I think if you look at what he was asked to do within the construction of the New Orleans Saints offense when he was asked to start games this year, you know, there are similar West Coast elements to both offenses. There are similar quick game elements to both offenses. And I think Bridgewater has sort of grown and matured as a passer where he's able to make throws on time, in rhythm, within the structure of the offense. And I think that's what Matt Nagy's offense needs. You know, if you're going to run this sort of quick game West Coast offense, one of the basic underpinnings of that is you give your receivers a chance to make plays after the catch. But if you're a quarterback that will consistently be more of a see it, throw it type guy where, you know, you're getting the ball out a little bit late after the guy's made his break, you give defenders a chance to close those windows. And so, yeah, you might complete the throw, but you know, the seven yard throw that's hopefully going to be a 15 yard gain with the yardage after the catch stays a seven yard gain. And whereas guys like Bridgewater and other guys, you know, in these offenses that run them well, if you get the ball out with anticipation, the seven-yard completion has that chance for a 15-yard game because they have ability to make moves after the catch as receivers. And so I think Bridgewater would be a good fit. Obviously, 
you know, the, the Breeze situation is that first domino to fall. I'm not buying this noise that Taysom Hill is going to be their next quarterback. I, I don't believe that. But we know Sean Payton loves this guy, so maybe he thinks he can make it happen. So if that is indeed the case, and if they decide we'll bring Breeze back and we'll have Taysom Hill now be just our backup, that's not a bad option. I do wonder what kind of contract Bridgewater will be looking for. Obviously, you know, the cap space is somewhat of an issue, although, you know, the cap is a construct, is a figment of our imaginations. But if Bridgewater is available to be had and the money could work, I think it makes sense. Yeah, I was going to ask you, uh, since your time down at the Senior Bowl, who was the one guy that you came in, no notions about, nothing to see, nobody expects anything out of, that really just wowed you? And you just said, holy cow, this kid's head and shoulders above, and nobody even knows about it. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to do that at the quarterback position because, you know, the four guys that I think had good weeks, people knew who they were. You know, and the two other guys, Stephen Montez, the Colorado kid, and the Shea Patterson, Shea Patterson from Michigan, they didn't exactly have great weeks. Let's just put it that way. So you have to, I think, go outside the quarterback position. You know, Adam Trotman, the, the University of Dayton tight end, he was fantastic to talk to during the media day portion talking about putting guys on their back against their will in the run game and the run blocking aspect of playing the tight end position. And then he looked, he wowed during the, the week of practice. He showed the ability to be a factor blocking in the run game, which people were wondering about given the level of competition. But he's dangerous as a receiving threat. He's dangerous in the open field. He can run away from linebackers. He can run away from safeties. Now, I think he has the potential to be sort of a, a multi-use, multi-use, multi-purpose tight end to the National Football League. Also at the tight end position, Stephen Sullivan from LSU. And he's an interesting study in that he comes in as a wide receiver, but LSU is so deep at wide out. They try to move him to tight end, but they've got Thaddeus Moss there. And so they run so much 11 personnel, they're not going to you know, take one of their receivers off the field to run 12 just to get them on the field. He didn't see a ton of opportunities, but they used him as an X at times at LSU. You watch their semifinal game against Oklahoma, you see him lined up as the X. This week down in Mobile, they did a lot more stuff with him as a traditional tight end. And similar to Trotman, he showed that he can be effective enough as a blocker where you might view him as that move type tight end if you're running 12 like we know a lot of NFL teams do, like Chicago has been known to do. They did it more, obviously, you know, a season ago. He's an interesting guy at the tight end spot, and I think he certainly has a future in the National Football League, you know, kicking it down a level at the offensive line. The D3 kid, Ben Barch, um, nobody really knew much about this kid. Um, I, I talked to Owen Reese, um, who's a graduate assistant offensive line coach at University of Wisconsin, Whitewater. They played against St. John's. I asked Owen about him. He said, look, other than a kid that was on our, our team, best offensive lineman I saw this year. And so I had some hopes that he was going to be good, and he showed out in practice. He got dinged up a little bit later in the week, but th you can make the case that he was the best offensive tackle down there. And so Barch had a fantastic week. I'm very excited to see how he continues through this process. Those are some guys on the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, two small school kids on the, at the safety spot. Um, the kid from Lenore, Ryan, um, Duggar, and I forget his first name. I'm blanking on it right now. Um, Kyle Duggar from Lenore, Ryan, uh, Division II kid. Uh, showed the ability to play down in the box. Showed the ability to play as a single high safety. Some versatility that you'd like to see at the safety position. And another small school kid from Southern Illinois, Jeremy Chin. Um, Came in, Brian Perez, I'm stealing Brian's line from NBC Chicago. 
when first of all the weigh-in portion is weird i will just say that this is my first time actually going for the weigh-ins i usually fly in after them tuesday morning it's a you know they got bleachers set up they got a stage guys are in their underwear getting measured and weighed in it's just a little weird but you see things like Jeremy Chin, and as Brian described him, the most rocked-up defender there. I mean, the guy's chiseled. Let's just put it out there. But he, again, ability to play down in the box, ability to play that single-high safety role, can give you some two-high coverage looks as well. Very athletic. I was very impressed with what he did this week as well. And so there's some small school guys that not a lot of people knew about coming into Senior Bowl week or people were somewhat optimistic about. They really helped themselves down in Mobile. Who's some guys that, because uh, I've been kind of thinking that Pace is at the point now with this roster where we need to maybe get some high floor guys and, uh, you know, maybe a little lower ceiling, but, you know, just some kind of plug and play, um, you know, guys maybe in the offensive line, maybe um, at safety, just because I think the, the safety position for the Bears is going to be up in the air, um, you know, with, uh, I think everybody Kind of feels like Haha played well, but maybe, uh, you know, maybe Eddie Jackson didn't exactly benefit from his presence there as much as we would have liked. So any any kind of guys like that that you saw or that you see in this upcoming draft that that the Bears might target? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a couple of guys that I was, you know, doing work for both PFW and Pat's pulpit. So I was obviously taking a look at some Patriots needs as well, and I was looking on, you know, the interior of the offensive line, and there are some guys I think that. You know, really sort of stood out at various points throughout the week. I mean, one guy um, from LSU, Lloyd Cushenberry, you know, played mostly center, but you know, they, they had him give him, they did give him some reps at guard and spots like that. And I thought he handled himself really well. It was rare to see him miss in one-on-ones. He had a couple of reps up against Javon Kinlaw, the kid from South Carolina that everybody assumes is going to be now a very early, you know, pick, probably very early in the first round. He had a very good week down in Mobile, but. Cushberry did a very good job against that. So I was impressed with him on the interior. Um, Jonah Jackson from Ohio State, another player that got a lot of reps at guard. Um, I thought he showed good length and power in his arms. Um, he showed the ability to sort of ride and carry defenders. What's interesting about, you know, sometimes you hear a lot about the one-on-ones, the pass rushing one-on-ones, and you hear, oh, this guy struggled. But these guys, the defenders, they're given two-way goes where they can beat you to either side. And that's not too true in the real world. A lot of times you're kind of pigeonholed into what side you can attack. So it's, it's rare to see a guy get a two-way go. But Jordan Jackson did a fantastic job uh, playing Wednesday against McTelvin again, a uh, kid from Arkansas. Um, he won with his initial punch but was still able to handle a late spin move from the defender with just his left arm sort of acted as a big wall and barrier between him and the quarterback. So I liked him a lot. Um, Hakeem Agendi from Arkansas. Um, bit of a slow start. Another guard um, struggled against Jason Strawbridge on Tuesday, but really sort of flashed at times on Wednesday, particularly against um, Darian Daniels, who's a big body type defender from Nebraska. I thought he handled himself well. I thought he would be pretty plug and play. And Logan Sternberg, a kid from Kentucky. Kentucky had a pretty good offensive line. He flashed a number of times throughout the week. I thought he had a very good week. I loved his battles against Robert Windsor, who's a edge rusher type from Penn State. Um, Windsor had a vast array of pass rushing moves he would use at times with some bull rush into rips and rips into swims and things like that. And then every time he tried that, Sternberg was able to sort of counter those moves extremely well. 
He's also had some battles against Marlon Davidson from Auburn, who had a very good week, but Sternberg handled those battles as well. And so those are some guys on the offensive line I'd be excited about. Did you end up seeing uh, anything out of Darian Lewis? No, Darian Lewis was – you get asked about him a ton. And what's interesting about him and sort of studying him, you know, he certainly checks a lot of boxes, um, flashed at times. You know, it's going to be another one of those situations where people are going to go back and sort of look at the film and think, all right, is this truly going to work uh, at the next level? He had some good reps. He had some good moments. Um, you know, didn't flash for me like some of the other guys. Um, but I could see sort of a later round pick perhaps on him. Okay. And not somebody that wasn't at the senior bowl. Sorry, Jared. Go ahead. No, you got it, man. Go. We need a tight end desperately, and yeah. I'm no draft evaluator or anything, but um, Albert O out of Missouri, do you see him being around the second round when we're picking? Because it's it's just it's a weird, interesting tight end draft because you know people are expecting a lot of Thaddeus Moss. Um, people are expecting you know some of these guys to contribute early. Um, but we often don't see that at the tight end spot. I think Albert O um, certainly can be that sort of mismatch type tight end, you know, particularly given his size where he can flash down in the red zone. He can give you something down in the red zone where, you know, Chicago didn't have that this year. Chicago didn't have that guy that could sort of look to down there. You know, when the field gets a little bit more constricted, the field gets a little bit tighter. You know, you need that sort of bigger body type guy. He's got good athleticism, good versatility. Um, willing to you know work in the run game as well. He can work as an inline blocker. Um, they moved him um, to the H, the slot. They even flexed him out at times, and so he could be a mismatch type player. Uh, a concern with him is injury. You know he's missed a lot of time due to injury. Um, he's not the greatest route runner in the world, but somebody with his size, you can work on that while still being able to rely on him because of his size down in the red zone. And so I, I think. The potential is there if the medicals check out in Indy and things like that. You know, he might, he still might be there in that second round range. And if we see a lot of these quarterbacks go, guys like him will get pushed down. And so I think he'd be an intriguing option for Chicago. I think he's probably there for them in the second round. It just might depend on the medicals and how he tests. So I'm going to, I'm going to Mobile. We just get done with practice. Where is the place to go have a nice cold <laughs> beverage and hang out with the boys and let, do all the things the wild boys do? Let, let, me, let me say this. Mobile is a fun town. And the main place where everybody ends up handing out for the most part is Veets. The, the Renaissance Hotel, which is sort of on the waterfront. That's where it's kind of Senior Bowl Central. That's where the players stay. That's where the teams stay. You know, they have the XOS film room where they've got video screens set up and good watch every play, every rep, multiple angles from practice. Um, that's where players are milling around. That's where teams have official you know, meetings with players. The bar downstairs is usually a place where family members and stuff congregate. But right across the street from that is Veet's. And it's this old mobile, like dive bar type place. And that is where most people end up, you know, either – Going early to get make sure they got a spot by the pool table, which is what I like to do, you know, get there around 10, 1030 or stumbling in late like some people from, you know, TV shows that you probably have seen before. Um, and I won't mention any names, but, you know, people come in, you, you recognize a lot of people, you know, both in the media world and in the NFL world from teams and stuff at Veeds. But that's just one place. 
There are places like the Haberdashery. There's a place called Game Over, which is a barcade where we spent some time. Um, there are a ton of restaurants to eat at. There's Winsell's, a great seafood place. Um, this year, like last year, we went to Dolphins, which is a very nice restaurant, 34th floor in one of Mobile's high rises. We saw John Gruden there a couple of tables over last year. So this year, 12 of us went. We saw a whole bunch of Steelers scouts there that night. It's a very fun town. And, and most of it, if you stay downtown in and around that uh, downtown area, everything's walkable. You can just you know walk a couple of blocks and boom, you have dinner. Walk a couple of blocks the other direction. You're back at Veet's. Um, you'll see everybody you know there. It's like your timeline, your Twitter timeline in real life. Like you look around and there's everybody you talk smack with all day long on Twitter. Now you're buying them shots. And so it, it's a fun time. Veet's is a place to be. But really, anywhere you go in Mobile, you're going to have a fun time because this is a city where you go out and there are people out Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. It doesn't matter. There's always people out and about. So it's a very fun time. Just remember, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And you're going to be spending six hours watching practice in the sun. Hydrate. Pace yourself. It's it's not – you can make some rookie mistakes down in Mobile. And I've – been there i've done that i've learned my lessons i'll just say that it sounds like a challenge yeah (laughs) (laughs) so uh you obviously cover the patriots as well and i i kind of have this feeling about this draft that this is a a unique draft for the patriots in that they got uh, they're on the precipice of of possibly a lot of change right yeah they and they have a lot of picks So I kind of feel like everybody, and including the Bears, who have some similar needs to them, are going to be competing with the Patriots. So uh, what do you think – where do you think the Patriots are going to be looking, you know, uh, to draft, and what are they going to be looking to draft? And then, you know, how does that affect teams like the Bears, you know? I mean – that might be a question best answered sometime in March when we figure out what Tom Brady is going to do. Because when I was down in Mobile, you know, some of the talk of the buzz was, oh, Brady's coming back. Like, don't worry about it. You know, they'll reload, they'll retool for one more run. I will say that the Dante Skarnecchia retirement has me a bit shook as a Patriots fan because if you think they're going to get the band back together for one final run with Brady, he'd stick around for one more year. He's not doing that. Belichick was down in Mobile the entire week. In years past, you know, either they've been in a Super Bowl or the the year that they weren't, they had everybody up sitting up in the corner of the bleachers. Belichick was camped on the sideline in the end zone staring down players. And, yeah, he was talking to Saban for a while. And, yeah, he was wearing designer jeans, whatever. He's doing some serious scouting. And so it does feel like that window, while not completely shut, it's pretty darn close. I still think Tom Brady can play at a high level, but they need to get him a ton of help. Uh, how soon do they address the quarterback position if they decide to keep Brady? Do they roll with Jared Sitter behind him? I, I don't know. There are a lot of dominoes to fall. I think, logistically speaking, they need to see the health of David Andrews. You know, if he gets a clean bill of health, maybe they don't address the center position early, but they might need to if he doesn't. Obviously, tight end is a massive issue for them. They did not address it. Kronk's decision late to retire kind of hamstrung them a bit. And you can see how that's playing out now where they supposedly want an answer from Brady earlier rather than later so they can make plans at the quarterback position. You know, I think they have to look at wide receiver. You know, outside of Julian Edelman, they really didn't have anybody that they could rely on. They have to sort of address some swing tackle issues and some stuff, 
you know, on the interior as well. They've got a decision to make with Joe Tooney, who might be the guy that sets the guard market in free agency, either him or Brandon Sheriff. Can they pay both, you know, Shaq Mason, they extended him. Can they do the same? Can they afford to do it with Joe Tooney? I don't know. So there's a lot of overlap between the Bears and the Patriots and what they do. That big domino is Brady. You know, if Brady returns to New England, it changes what they have to do. If Brady doesn't, they're, you know, depending on how they address in free agency, they're in play for a quarterback at 23. And they have enough draft capital, they could potentially move up. And so it will be fascinating to see. But, yeah, more than anything else, guys, that Skarnackia retirement has me a bit shaken right now. Yeah, I was saying saying the same thing. Like, I just felt like what you said, that, this means that they're not getting the band back together because they would have. Yeah, it, it just, it just, yeah, it has that feeling. And look, he, he's 72. He's retired once before. I mean, you know, we obviously, look, he's earned the right to make his decision about what he wants to do for the rest of his life and all the power to him. But again, it's like if they were all making one last ride, he'd want to be a lawn forward. And maybe they know that, look, you know, they're going to go in a different direction uh, at the quarterback spot. Maybe they make some sort of courtesy type offer to try to get it done with Brady. And he really, you know, decides to walk. Who knows? You just, you get that feeling right now. It could change in a week or so, but sitting here right now tonight, I don't get the warm and fuzzies. Yeah. WEI had mentioned that. Unfortunately, that's the only station I get in my car if I'm not listening to the pods, but, uh, oh, man, being in Connecticut, but um, they they said that um, Brady is like moved down to New York now. Yeah, so I don't know if that's a I mean, sign of anything. We but. we've all become sort of real estate experts over the past like you know couple <laughs> of months because you know tracking Brady's homes and where he's living. I will say the other thing that has me wary about Brady coming back. When he stepped down as co-chair of the Boston chapter of the Best Buddies organization, he was heavily involved in that. You know, he would always have like a flag football game at Harvard Stadium, the Coliseum, you know, every training camp at the start of training camp with guys like Edelman and Gronk. They'd have a huge flag football game, raise a ton of money for Best Buddies. He was really involved in that charity. When he stepped down at the start of last year and sort of, quote unquote, passed the torch to Edelman, that was another like, whoa, this is real moment in New England. We were all kind of like... Yeah, this, this isn't a good sign. You know, that there are rumors that he has sold the house in Brookline, although it seems like that's not the case, but they are living down in New York City. Maybe that's because he can sort of test the free agent waters from there. Obviously, we you know, look, he's, he could have, certainly have a post-football career, whether it's media, whether it's just with, you know, the TV 12 method, whether it's in modeling. Look, whatever Tom Brady wants to do, he's probably going to be good at it. And, you know, a power couple of models in Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchen. That's probably not the craziest thing people have floated as an idea. And so maybe he just wants to be in New York City. I don't know. It's just all you add all these little pieces together and it's like maybe the guy really just wants out. So what do you think of the Super Bowl, Mark? What's your uh, what's your uh, little snapshot on the Super Bowl for us? Yeah, obviously, look, that was a huge topic of the conversation down in Mobile. And, you know, whether you're at dinner or just in between practices, chat with people out of the bar or whatever. And it seems like the consensus is kind of this. There's certainly a path for San Francisco to win this game. Garoppolo has to play perfect. Their defense has to force some turnovers. And they have to somehow find a way to sort of slow Patrick Mahomes and company down. That's their narrow pathway to victory. 
with Kansas City, like they've got multiple ways where they could win. They could do it with their defense and force some mistakes from Garoppolo. They could just flat out turn it into a boat race and outscore you. I mean, the fact that Kansas City has so many different ways where they can win this game, and it seems like San Francisco has just that one sort of narrow path where they have to play a perfect game, makes me think that Kansas City is going to find a way to win this one. I think it's going to be entertaining. Look, I, I think Robert Soleil has done a fantastic job this year with that defense, and they'll have some things to sort of confuse Patrick Mahomes at times and you know make him make some mistakes. But that offense can score so quickly, where even if they get down 24 nothing early, it's like okay, you know they've been down by that before. You know, not, obviously not against a team of the caliber of San Francisco's, but they can score in a flash. They can score from anywhere on the field. It's something I've seen up close and personal, you know, with the battles that the Patriots and the Chiefs have had over the past two years. And so I just think that Kansas City has too many ways to beat you. Yeah, it's interesting that the, the the narratives that have already, you know, started up with Garoppolo as a game manager and people talking about Kansas City's defense not being that great. And it's like neither one of those things I think are really that true. No, but no, with Kansas City, with Mahomes – you can completely scheme him up, completely beat him, and then the fact that you've got a guy in Terry Kill who can literally go from sideline to sideline in like two seconds flat with Mahomes running with that arm, it's like there's no there's no beating that. At some no. point, they're going to connect. I mean, that one throw he had in the AFC champ where he just kind of threw it to an area knowing that Tyreek was going to get there. Yeah. Like, it's just it, – that's it, unbeatable. And sometimes these teams almost take on a feeling of destiny. And, you know, in the division around, they have the big comeback against Houston. And then you have, you know, the touchdown run against Tennessee for Mahomes before halftime. These are just moments that you have the feeling that, you know, come July and August, we'll look back on those and be like, yeah, we should have known this was coming, right? They seem to be a team of destiny. And maybe you look back earlier in this year when Mahomes – is down on the field at Denver, and it looks like he's got the horrible knee injury, and it's like, man, their season could be over, and he avoids the injury, and he's back playing in a couple of weeks. Maybe that should have been the moment we were like, all right, this is the year they're going to put things together. I know everybody's talking about Baltimore and how great Lamar Jackson has been, but when push comes to shove, that ball, that you know, Kansas City offense has been so good now for two straight years that maybe we should have seen it coming. We could have had Mahomes. That, that feels great. I wasn't going to go there, man. I was just <laughs> going to avoid it, but yeah. I, I have one last question for me, and this is kind of a pop culture question, okay. knowing that you're kind of plugged into the Patriot organization as you are. Have you seen the Aaron Hernandez documentary on Netflix? I, I, yeah, I haven't watched it yet, Jeremy. It's on sort of the to-do list when I get some downtime, like, between now and the combine, I'm going to be headed out to Indy for that. Maybe I'll download it for the flight. I know people that have watched it. Um, I was with some family members uh, for a family get-together this weekend. Um, a lot of my family members have seen it. My parents have seen it. They're all sort of enthralled by it. So I do want to watch it. I just haven't gotten the chance to do it yet. I've heard varying opinions on it. You know, some people, you know, think it was fantastic. Some people think, you know, it, it stretches some things here and there, but. What I've heard is that the football stuff is amazing. You know, sort of talking about, you know, the locker room stuff, how he was used on the field and things like that, that there are some football elements to it that people are going to find fascinating. So I haven't watched it yet. I plan to. And next time I'm on, I'll give you a full breakdown of the, of the documentary. That's awesome. Fantastic. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we uh, appreciate you coming on. We appreciate all the knowledge. Um, it's amazing 
the way you can just rattle off all these names, uh, you know, from from pick to pick to pick. Um, appreciate it. Uh, you can obviously uh, check out uh, Mark's work on uh, Pro Football Weekly, and um, you've been doing uh, stuff for it looks like a bunch of other things. You have InsideThePylon.com, obviously, um, but uh, what else are you doing work for these days? Well, guys, again, thanks so much for having me. Always a blast to be on. Um, easiest way to follow along with the hijinks is on Twitter at Mark Schofield, but I write for, like you said, Inside the Pylon, Pro Football Weekly, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, uh, Big Blue View, where I cover the Giants for SB Nation. I co-host the QB Sco Show, part of the Bleeding Green Radio Network, covering the Eagles. I do that with my buddy Michael Kist. And I host the Sco Show on Pat's Pulpit, where I also write. That's pretty much all Pat's stuff, um, again, part of the SB Nation Network. Awesome, right. man. Thank awesome. you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks, guys, for having me. All right, Mark, you're a blast, brother. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. So. All right, that was Mark Schofield. Um, what a what a mind. I mean, that yeah, guy. Yeah, he's just, awesome, man. His like, breakdowns are great. Yeah. I mean, I'm just always in awe when he starts going. Like, I'm, like, trying to write down names. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like, he knows his stuff. Man. Like, I'm like, who and what? Oh, my God. Like, you know, you could literally just, you could literally, like, pull out the, the, the senior bowl guide and just be like, this guy, and he'd have 10 minutes. He could just go. It's, it's pretty amazing. It's an education. Um, it's great stuff. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I mean, it's it's the elephant in the room, um, you know, the, the pink elephant in a tutu. But, you know, we had to talk about Mitch. Um, it's, you know, it, it's it's unfortunate. But, you know, I think he brings up a really, really uh, depressing uh, but completely accurate point of view, which is that he's the same guy. He's the same guy who he was. He's not. He never progressed. He never became somebody new. Uh, you know, Nagy had enough scheme and enough trickeration and enough, um, you know, plays to to kind of cobble together a one, you know, season. But, you know, then you. All, it, it, his, his high school coach stuck up for him. So I think everything's all. Oh, good. yeah. <laughs> fine. Yeah. His high school coach. Yep. Yep. His high school coach, you know, I mean, that got him recruited to the powerhouse of UNC. So, hey, man, D1's D1, you want to do one, you to take that. Still. Went from Mr. Mister, Mister uh, Football Ohio to University of North Carolina. Anyway, it's not a problem because the Bears have drafted a quarterback. Um, you mean actually, sign? they've signed a quarterback, excuse me, a uh, highly sought-after quarterback who – has been playing cornerback in the CFL, but we know what Ryan Pace is doing. He is shrewd. He's a shrewd operator. (laughs) He's drafted a quarterback named Trey Roberson. Um, And, uh, you know, like I said, I think he was uh, up in the CFL maybe doing um, some work for the Mounties uh, and also playing in the CFL. Uh, But he's he's got more experience than Mitch in college. And, uh he had a famous uh, FCS championship game where he almost beat Carson Wentz when Carson Wentz was on the Buffalo uh, Bisons. Um, so pretty excited that we now have a really high-level talent at quarterback on the roster in Trey Roberson. Well, he actually had some pretty decent, pretty decent stats up in uh, Canada at cornerback. 
95 tackles and 10 picks in 32 games. So. Oh, yeah. I'm just, of course, I'm joking. Uh, he's oh, a yeah, corner. yeah. <laughs> Buffalo Bisons. Who the fuck is that? Carson <laughs> <laughs> Wentz was on. It's a, no. It's actually the minor league baseball team. It's North team Dakota State. <laughs> I think, it's a, on, I think I'm pretty sure it's a triple-A team in Buffalo or double A or something. I don't even know. I'm pretty uh, sure they're the Birmingham. It right was now. the Birmingham Biscuits. Oh. <laughs> no? We can send no. a biscuit their way. I'd be good with that. Oh. Roberson, former IU quarterback. You know, I'm I'm all down for that. Yes, yeah, that quarterback hotbed. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. No, but in all seriousness, this was a guy who is, um, you know, a guy who was, uh, had like 10 different tryouts with NFL teams. Ten teams worked him out, the Patriots among them, um, and he apparently had his pick. And for the early reports are, Schefter says he chose the Bears, um, and they gave him uh, – Pretty good money. Um, people refer, he referenced the Cameron Wake money. You know, I looked it up. Cameron Wake in 2009 got a 4.9 million dollar contract from the uh, Dolphins, um, which I guess is the record for a CFL um, signing. Uh, it's interesting. You know, this is sort of like one of Pace's like back channel uh, deals. It hasn't really had much uh, fruit to it so far. You got Matthew Betts and of course Akeem Hicks. Uh, prior to that, but Matthew Betts and um, James, Lewis Va- up there? James Vodders. 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 Yeah, yeah, but who was that big receiver back in the day we got from Canada? He was like 6'6 six, six or 6'7, six, like some Canadian legend. Pace guy? No, before oh. Pace. Oh. They, they, I, they hyped the hell out of him. He didn't do nothing. I don't know. No clue. I mean, it, there's always a chance, though, that none of this is real and uh, the Bears have just been hacked again. Because um, that's well, Trey Robertson's put it out on his account. So okay, good. He maybe he was hacked too. You never know. Every <laughs> NFL team this week has been hacked. Um, and I was I was laughing because I don't know if it's flattering or embarrassing that the Bears were the first ones that were hacked. Um, hey, at least they're first at something. Somebody brought up that yeah, exactly. We won. We won a Canadian cornerback and first to be hacked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was actually excited when I saw it, not knowing. I was like, oh shit, we're gonna get a quarterback and a new stadium and shit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, they announced themselves as the new owners of the Bears. I said, that's great. And then they hacked the Lions later. Apparently, and I was like, wait, the. The owner of the Lions is the Bears. I don't understand what's going on here at all. This is weird. So, uh, you know, another interesting week uh, on Twitter, of course. Um, you know, just just the usual uh, shenanigans back and forth, and obviously the uh, we you know, we talked a little bit about the Senior Bowl um, leading up to it. And um, any anybody that you guys saw at the Senior Bowl that you you know were a uh, little. Uh, Half masked about? No, not really. <laughs> that would have required me to watch it, and I'll just be honest with you, I didn't watch it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just watched. I watched the clips, the practices, and you know, I a um, little bit here and there. Um, I mean, Harrison Bryant looked pretty impressive, and and Adam Totman was the guy everybody was talking about. How he likes to drive people on the ground and all that stuff. Two tight ends. I thought looked. Pretty good from what I saw. 
The old, yeah, old pony I was thought, out and about looking for a new stable. I thought, uh, oh, there you go. I thought the uh, don't don't get road hard and put away wet now. I thought mm. that, uh, you know, I, I thought that what <laughs> Schofield said about Gordon was was really interesting um, about the roller coaster factor. I mean, you know, the thing is, I think we could live with a roller coaster as long as the highs are high enough. You yeah, know. but some uh, people some people said the same thing about Mahomes coming out. It, the thing oh, with yeah. the thing thing with Gordon is he'd be a developmental piece. He's not right. going to be a guy you're going to throw right into the starting lineup. So if he has right. those kind of tools and you can kind of get him to mature, who knows? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I I do really kind of feel like the more realistic option for next year is is you know like a a veteran backup, you know and. Uh, and I a rookie. I, I mean, I, it's not what I want, but I mean, I it's know. Just, like you just like it doesn't. I just don't want to. I don't want to suffer through five weeks of Mitch bullshit. I don't want to either, but you know, you you just know who we're dealing with, Diddy. Like yeah. you're dealing with Ryan Pace, who who has stuck by Kevin White forever. I cannot be wrong. By... I cannot be wrong. Right, <laughs> and that's a, that's his biggest fear. Uh, and Mitch could end up working out. Wrong. I just. No, that's not it. a scenario that's going to happen. I know, but, man, <laughs> like, I don't know. I just cannot see it. I mean, now. <laughs> personally, personally, and I said this, you know, I went kind of rogue and was on Twitter doing what I said I wouldn't do and talking about him. And, you know, and I just, like, I would rather, I would literally rather see anybody, like Mullins or, like, anybody, uh, Driscoll. Like, I would just... I just want to look at somebody new. I, like, I feel like the Mike Glenn, the Mike Lennon sign. I'm like, why? We're gonna have to suffer through this shit. I, I just feel like we're at the same spot. Like maybe. I mean, I I feel I don't know. I I at least feel like the core of the team is is much better than that was at that point. I'm just talking about the quarterback position. Right, but I'm saying like when when they signed when I don't know when they signed Glennon, I never liked it or understood it, but. No. Like, it didn't feel like, okay, well, they're really, like, uh, attaching themselves to him for a long time. And I, that's what I worry about is I don't, you know, unfortunately, like, even though some of these guys will make may make sense is that you just have to remember that they are coming to the Bears. And so that what that means is that, you know, uh, Cam Newton will be completely healthy and then, you know, something will happen to him in his first that's practice cool. with the Bears. Like, it's just... <laughs> That's the way that works. Like we're just, you, you know. Go ahead. Notice that Alshon Jeffrey's getting the axe there in Philly. Is he? It sure seems to be the story. It seems to be that. Uh, I mean, soon it's out of Philadelphia or that he's pretty much done there. Why well, his, he followed the wide receiver coach we had there, oh, and bro? he and Grow got let go, right? I think so. Yeah, so I, I don't know if that has any connection to it, but I know they're close. I mean, he. When he went to Philly, Alshon followed. Mm. And his rubber band hamstrings. <laughs> and another thing you mentioned on Twitter, I mean, did you guys see the Allen Robinson ha-ha little back and forth there when Allen was like, yeah, Eric Berry would be sweet next to uh, Eddie. <laughs> yeah, just, I, I, was like, I was like, whoa, you throw me away, huh, bud? Like, yeah, Everybody man. was just like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? <laughs> like, ha I mean, it's pretty obvious that HaHa's not coming back. I don't really think the market's going to be that great for him, but, like, 
I just feel like it, if he does come back, it's going to be like another one or two year deal because nothing else worked out. Right. That's, that's I, how I, I feel. He, he played I, I, well, not great. He was not a difference maker on that defense. So, I mean, and, and you can make the argument like we have that he was almost a detriment at times because of the way others had to play around him. So, yeah, it's it's hard to say. I wish that the that the Keem Hicks hadn't gotten hurt and 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 you know and all the other things hadn't broken the way they did because I don't know if we got a real chance to evaluate him um, be, just because of that. Like I would have loved to, you know. Ideally, what Pace was probably thinking is, okay, my pass rush is going to be awesome. You know, Bilal Nichols is going to take the next step. Roy Robertson Harris is going to be good. We've got Khalil Mack. We're going to have an awesome pass rush. So I would – how sick would it be to have two robbers back there, you know, just picking off balls left and right, you know. Um, I mean, a lot of – another thing that's interesting about the, the, the secondary is I've heard a lot of people kicking around the idea that Kyle Fuller could be a trade piece. Hmm. Yeah. That's heard more than a few people talk about that um, just because they kind of feel like he's got good value right now. His contract's a little bit high for maybe the Bears, but maybe not somebody else, a team that's closer. And, you know, it's possible that that this is like the last year of high value for him. Like, you know, Kyle just restructured too, right? Like, just a couple weeks ago. He did. Right, and yeah, that's why I think it's unlikely is because of the dead money, but it just got kicked around. I mean, yeah, I mean the other thing is if we're moving on from Prince and Kyle, like you're not you're not solving well, that with, with Trey Robertson. What, it depends on what you get back. I don't think they're moving on from Kyle. I don't think they dislike a lot of these guys. I think that most of the unfortunately most of the negative evaluation that a lot of us have on on their players they don't share. Like well, I, the other thing is you can't. I mean that's that's a real risky move to lose. Potentially, because, I mean, we're, we're thinking Prince, because of the cap casualty, he'll be gone. But you lose both your cornerbacks that are pretty versed in the system. That, that's – I don't know if you, you're going to be that risky. That, that's – No, I agree. It was just something that was kicked around. thought I would throw it out there. But but everybody uh, thinking Trey's going to be, like, automatically Prince's replacement. I, I, I think Pace addresses these things differently. If he lets go of Prince, he's going to bring another guy in and create a competition there. You know I, mean? I don't even think he leaves. I don't. I think the replacement's already on the roster. You know, Prince. Yeah, don't you go with the uh, LSU kid? Maybe. Tolliver. I, mean, uh, yeah. I don't think you trust him as a. I don't. You don't trust him as. You're talking about your starting corner. Like you're talking well, about your, your man, also, man corner. Like he, he was thrown into a defense that wasn't getting home like they were the year before you. Did. I agree. I'm just saying I agree also with what – hey, Jer, hit your mute button. Sorry. That's right. Um, the, I, I was listening to, you know, Hogan Johns on The Athletic, and they were talking about, you know, I mean, how bad was Prince's season really? I mean, was it so bad that we're, that we're talking about losing this guy because he's $9 million? It's not that much money for a cornerback. It's really not. You know, like I, I agree that he looked like he was – beaten a lot and but again he's he's being asked to cover more than he was last year because the pass rush isn't getting home so you you know it's just like the same excuses you can if we're gonna make excuses for eddie jackson 
then we should also make excuses for Amukamara, you know. Um, physically, he just looked like at times he was physically beaten. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he's but he also, he was also, there were games where he was the only fucking guy in the secondary making plays. Like, I agree. You know, and so, like, you know, where it's like Fuller, you know, either doesn't get thrown to, and then once a game he gives up a huge play, like, you know, because it's almost like he, he falls asleep because they don't throw to him enough, or he's playing this cat and mouse game where he's, you know, he's right. playing off and trying to get them to throw to him, and then he guesses wrong. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of guys were doing. A lot of guys were pressing for turnovers, pressing for that extra play because of how bad the offense was. You know, so I don't know. I'm just saying I don't know that it's a given that a Mukamara is just gone. Um, you know, I, I also, you know, just don't think that. I could see I him come back on a one year. Right, he, he is, he's already signed. He's signed for another year. Right. He's not a free agent. We're talking about cutting him. Right. And, and that's right. what most people right. are assuming is that they're going to cut him because right. because of this nine million dollars that it would save. But again, you know, everybody keeps thinking, oh, look at how much cap space they could open up. It's like, yeah, but how many holes do you open up with that cap space? You know, and um, I can't remember who it was, but yeah, you got to address a safety position too. So right. it, 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 I think it was Hub. I was listening to Hub and and Arthur Arkish on their podcast, and he was saying that. And rightfully so, this is not the way the NFL teams operate. They don't cut guys and then try to draft their replacements straight out of the draft. That is not how it works. You you go through free agency, you fill as many holes as you can in free agency, and then you address the draft. Yeah, I think it was Zimmerman, right? Yeah, it was Zimmerman. Yeah, Yeah, it was Zimmerman. And and, and, um, that's just not how it works. Like you don't, and and I think sometimes we get caught up in this. We're trying to play, you know, capologists on on uh, OTC or spot track or whatever, and you know, it's not realistic. They have to go into free agency and they have to fill the holes that they have, and then you use the draft to to supplement that, and then you build your depth that way. If you go into the draft trying to get starters because you need starters, you're screwed. Like it's over for you. So. Yeah, you need to set yourself up for best player available. Yeah, or at least as close as you can get. I mean, you know, I think your needs have to factor into that. Uh, I think sometimes that's where Pace has gotten a little off track is that he really is going pure best player available, um, and his evaluation has isn't right. And then there's no more of this diamond in the rough Shaheen bullshit. You know what I mean? Right. That's yeah, and that's that's what I've been saying. Like a higher floor, maybe lower ceiling. Let's get some guys that can play. Um, you know, so it'll be interesting. I, I kind of feel like this is a draft where pace doesn't move around that much unless something really wild happens, you know, um, you know, if for some reason, I mean, I, a crazy thing I could see possibly happening is maybe two his medicals aren't that amazing. And then, you know, he starts to slide and then, you know, maybe pace moves up to get him, um, you know, because it's the kind of thing that he would do. You know what I mean? Like take a risk on a on an injury that you know you know you're just gonna stash him. So before we before we get into an emotional kind of discussion that's gonna have to happen because we need to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Our Super Bowl picks. All right. So Jared, you're five and five, and me and A are six and five. So if we all pick the same team, me, me and A are automatically gonna be butting heads to see who wins. So 
Well, we but, have to got to pick the score, right? You got to pick the team and the score. Well, no, even if Jared gets the score right, though, he. I guess he could try to pull that off. Yeah, we'll see. So who you guys oh, got? So they're saying there's a chance. <laughs> I mean, as I was saying with Schofield, I think as as the week goes by, it becomes harder and harder for me to pick against the Chiefs. Um, I just feel like they're the more talented team. I think if you start going down the roster and going player for player, they just have more talent. Um, you know, now I think Shanahan's coaching really well right now. Um, so I don't think that the Chiefs are just going to blow them out. But I also don't think that the 49ers are the type of team that's going to go up, you know, like the Texans and the Ravens did. Um, or I mean, the Titans um, did. So I'm, I think the Chiefs are going to win. I think it's probably going to be maybe 45 to 33 Chiefs. Ooh. Mm. See, I've got, I've got a, sim, a little different score, but my philosophy on this game is really weird. I think Kansas City comes out smoking, and San Francisco makes it respectable. But I, I've kept it on with the score that I picked in uh, the uh, Bears Brawls uh, pick. It's 31-17 Chiefs. I think the Chiefs come out hot and hold on. If I, if I was the Chiefs, I would definitely go right at Richard Sherman right away. Oh, like, yeah. Because then you just – if you beat Richard Sherman deep, like, right away, you're going to kill them mentally. I'm picking the Chiefs, too, because I just want to see Andy Reid's offense work and win a Super Bowl because it's a similar offense to what we're running just to prove that that works. So – the whole you need to run the ball to win bull crap. Like I'm good, man. Go Chiefs and 35-20 Chiefs. Yeah, it's funny. You were you're talking about that run, you know, run the ball thing, and I was saying on the uh, on one of the all access podcasts they were talking to um, some of the new coaches, Juan Castillo and whatnot, and and uh, you know they're talking to Jim Miller who comes on that <clears throat> podcast you know pretty frequently and. And he was uh, talking about his days with Ron Earhart, you know, bring up Ron Earhart because it just feels like that's, you know, that's the kind of thing that, that Shanahan and some of these teams are running, these old Parcells, Earhart, like, you know, kind of offenses. And I guess he, uh, Miller was with him when he was in Pittsburgh, and he was talking about the offensive meetings, how, you know, even when Miller was the backup, you would have to go up in the front of the room and they just, you know, show – defenses and you just have to like flashcards okay what's the front okay what's what's your reads what's your you know what's your check okay what if what if they do this what do you and it was just flashcards and if you didn't know it you were like shamed you know and it was like go go back to the playbook go back and learn your stuff and it just kind of i wonder if that kind of hardcore level of thing is happening with mitch or if he's just completely being spoon-fed the answers and and coddled because I just I can't imagine him like I keep I mean, thinking if his press of that. conferences or any if his press conferences are any indication he's being spared. That's what I'm saying. He's like straight I, off the tip. That's what I'm saying. Like I keep thinking of that clip from the Gruden show where he doesn't even know about a hard count. Like, like I don't know. Like I just I can't shake this idea that we that pace just got catfished. You know, like 
Like it was just this amazing date and and uh, you know the music was just right and you know the stereo and the table for eight Jim yeah, McMahon. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, just wow wow. Rough man. So anyway, I just and wonder. The date turns I, out to be a dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh it it's Manti Teo's uh, real girlfriend. The new quarterback, but it doesn't matter because we have Trey Roberson. So I don't know. Anyway, right. Best quarterback other, other big news, man. Uh, tragic news. Yeah. Um, R.I.P. Kobe. Yeah, I... R.I.P. Gigi and everybody else involved. I don't have all the names in front of me, man. But we lost a we lost a legend, man. And it kind of hit home for me, being a parent, um, being involved in my kid playing sports. I. I I'm nowhere near the level of Kobe, of course, but basketball is my, my best sport. So watching my son play that and being there for him and, you know, practicing with him and that bond, man, it, it's just like on a, on a not even the fact that he's who he was. It's just the like a family lost a father and a daughter and a sister. And it's just uh, just hit home, man. It, it's just so tragic, like. To be able to, like, he was he was just getting into that point where he was enjoying watching his kid do something that he loved and she loved too, and the the hopes and dreams she had about playing at UConn. And, it, man, it's just, it, it's horrible. I mean, everybody that lost their life there, is, it, it's absolutely horrible. But Kobe just hits home because of who he was. And, you know, it's just, uh, it, it was, like, gut-wrenching, man. Yeah, man. Hey, hey, I really want you to get into your... You had a great thread on Twitter, and yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, it really it's... hit the. It really hit to me, a guy. I'm. I had to try to find a way to assimilate because I kind of had unplugged from the NBA and I wasn't. Yeah. I don't have kids, so it kind of put some things in perspective for me as an outsider looking in. Yeah. I think he really touched on it, and uh, kudos. I think it was a great. It was great writing by you. Well, thing. I mean, it was very stream of consciousness. I don't know. You know, it, it's it was it's rough. I mean, I was getting ready to go to work, um, you know, on Sunday, and and you start to see a couple tweets from some random people. Like I saw this tweet was like, I hope that helicopter thing's not real. And then I'm like, wait, what? And then you know, and then of course, <clears throat> here comes TMZ. And immediately what goes on nowadays is everybody's like, TMZs, they're fake, they're fake. And it's like, no, they're not. TMZs, no, TMZs they're very point. Like, the, the days of TMZ being the National Enquirer are long gone. And the fact of the matter is, is they have paid informants in every law enforcement agency in this country and every courthouse. And, you know, this is how they make their living, by, by getting this stuff first, you know, and – Unfortunately and unbelievably tragically, you know, um, especially because of the timing, you know, it just it felt like Kobe kind of came back into our lives. You know, I mean, I, I you know, I, I've said this before. I don't know if I've said it on the show, but I, I lived in Los Angeles for for five and a half, six years uh, between, you know, late 03 to <clears throat> summer of 09. Um, and when you live there, you know. People think of L.A. as not a sports town. It's it's the furthest thing from the truth. It is a sports town. There's so many people there. There are plenty of people that love L.A. sports. I mean, you, you obviously you think of the first four rows of, of you know, the, the Laker games, the first five rows, and, you know, it's all celebrities. And the same thing is true with the Dodgers games. But up in the 
the regular seats in the in the upper levels of Staples and the you know the the bleachers and the upper decks of Dodger Stadium. These are normal people. These are the same sports fan people that are in Buffalo and Connecticut and New York and Chicago and and, and you know these quote unquote blue collar places. These are diehard sports fans. You know what I mean? Like. <clears throat> that tailgate and and bleed blue or they bleed purple and gold and you you, when you're there you get caught up in it you know what i mean if you love sports i mean if you clearly have no interest in sports you're not going to get caught up in it but i love sports and wherever i've lived whether it's san diego or you know chicago new york whatever you get caught up in the sports teams that are there you know, because it's what's it's what's in your face all the time. You're listening to, you know, um, the the radio, the sports radio. And while I was there, it was right on the cusp of the whole Kobe Bryant uh, trial, you know, and the gold in Colorado. And it was right on the tail end of the three P. So it was a weird time to be in Los Angeles and and be, you know, uh, kind of having a front row seat for sort of the 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 lean times of Kobe, you know, where I mean they went to you know, they lost to the Pistons um, uh, in 04 uh, and then, you know, without Shaq and then, you know, then uh, Phil Jackson leaves and Kobe got blamed for Shaq leaving. Kobe got blamed for Phil leaving. Kobe got painted as a pariah who nobody could play with. Kobe got, you know, talked about as the guy who was taking up half the salary and, you know, and then it, you know, you find out later that he almost went to the Clippers, and then, you know, it turns out he was like really close to coming to the Bulls in 2008, and then, you know, then they got Pau Gasol, and you know, he he was able to get two more rings, and that really brought everybody back. But you're talking about a 20-year career, and so I think the hardest part about Kobe dying and passing in this tragic way is that. This is a guy who we watch grow up. We're all in our early 40s. And he was a guy that did what we all wanted to do when we were kids. We all wanted to be like Mike in some way. Even if Mike was beating your team, you know, um, you still wanted to be like him. At the end of the day, you were still on the on the basketball court flipping up behind your head layups and sticking your tongue out and doing fadeaways and, you know, trying to do that stuff. Well, here's a guy who he wanted to do it, but he really did it. Like he really became Michael Jordan. I mean, to the point where he sounded like him, he talked like him, his moves are like him. And somebody did that, you know, an amazing video where they spliced together the the moves and the fadeaways and it's uncanny it's unbelievable the way that kobe really became jordan and went right at jordan and actually earned jordan's respect but when he came in the league everybody was like who the hell is this kid you know who's this kid on the lakers you know uh, you know who's this kid throwing up air balls in the playoffs you know and thinking he's all that and then you know little by little he just kept coming and that was the thing about him was that he was relentless and he had this drive and that was the other thing that really made him like Jordan he had this drive that was unbelievable <clears throat> and so the perfect person for him was of course Phil Jackson you know and then they get Shaq and unfortunately those are two alphas you know they didn't really get along and and the thing with Kobe was that nobody was ever going to work as hard as him so he really wasn't ever going to 
you know, accept you as that. So, you know, it was just interesting. I mean, I went to a few Laker games. You know, you get immersed in it. When they when they got Powell, you know, my wife and I, my, you know, I met my wife out there, and, you know, and we were into the Lakers together, you know, um, you know, as a thing that we both liked. And, you know, we went to some games, et cetera. You know, and even when we moved back to Chicago, you know, we didn't have the cable on. So, we, we you know, it was like, oh, the, the Lakers are on in the finals. We're going to go, you know, watch – watch them um you know so it it was hard man i mean it was it was i was like absolutely in tears on and off most of sunday you know and as you watch it unfold it's just brutal i mean to hear you know that he died was enough and then to find out because at first we thought it was four then it was five and then to find out it was nine you know and and other kids and you know i mean the altabelli family with their daughter and their the mother and the father all killed and um the other woman whose you know uh daughter was also on there with with her uh the, i think her name was mauser i mean it's just it's just sickening you know and you know it's just it's so everybody feels it together um and you just you don't know what to do i mean you just can't believe it's real and, you know, here's a guy that had this amazing career, and it, and it was obviously a mixed bag. It wasn't a perfect career, but as about as great of an NBA career as you could imagine, but it certainly had its ups and downs. But his post-NBA life had become so amazing. You know, he had, you know, was taking on the field of entertainment, and he and he had become this amazing speaker, and he was, he was, he was, you know, putting out these amazing videos with these inspirational quotes. And I mean, we, we needed another 30 years of this guy. Like he was an absolute treasure off the court. I would say more so than on the court at times, because, you know, for as many people as are talking about loved him on the court, I think, you know, even the most hardcore Royal Acre fans would have to admit that there were long stretches of his career where they were like, not sure about the guy. You know, now looking back on it, you could sit there and say, you know, but he's but honestly, I was trying to think of who's a bigger figure for Los Angeles in general that could have died. And the only guy I could really come up with was Magic. And Magic is not Magic's not a hero to the 25 year olds of today, the 20 year olds. And that's the thing that's probably most hardcore about it is that all the young players in the league they didn't grow up watching Jordan. They grew up watching Kobe. And so they're what's craziest about this is they're crushed. I mean, these guys are just, you know, this is the guy that we're talking about. We practiced moves. This is the guy who they practice his moves. You know, um, they came into the league and maybe got to play with him for a little bit and were trying to earn his respect. I mean, D Wade talks about, his biggest goal was to earn Kobe Bryant's respect. So the stories coming out and just the, I mean, you're just seeing. Harden and Westbrook are from L.A. They grew up there. Yeah, DeRozan. I mean, even, um, you know, and then, and then, I mean, just Kobe alone, it's tragic enough. But then you throw in his daughter who really had become the mini him and the Mambasita, he, it, it, He's, he patented that here. He put a copyright in for the Mambasita because she was really like a mini him, 
you know, and he, you know, talks about the need to have a boy because he's got this girl who's, who's got the skills and she was planning on going to Yukon and, you know, she's 13 years old. Like she had her whole freaking life ahead of her and she brought him back into basketball. He was, he was done. He had not gone back to Staples, but maybe one time since his last game, he was done and she brought him back, you know, she and and so we were seeing him going to the games with just her and being a dad and like seeing you know just the you know and now you see all these pictures that maybe you didn't even think you never even thought about with Kobe you never thought about the all the times that his daughters were um, you know after games you know getting picked up and hugged and looking into his eyes and you just never. You never thought about those things, you know, and I think maybe it's because it didn't fit the narrative. I mean, you know, this guy cast himself as a stone cold killer. He was not trying to portray the the uh, persona of a of a loving father and any kind of softness or warmth at all. You know, I mean, some of the old commercials that I forgot about, there's that commercial where um, all the fans are, are, you know, hating and you know screaming at him and he kind of conducts them in like a chorus of of being hated and it's like you know this and that's what he thrived on you know what i mean there was that the that that clip that um people play as like just a clip of i love it where Dwayne wade is telling the story of how uh he broke kobe's nose in the all-star game and wade was like all freaked out because he broke his nose and and then they saw each other after the break and Kobe came back with the mask and Wade was just like, you know, it, man, I'm, I'm so sorry again, like really, really sorry. And Kobe was just like, no, 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 I love it. Like he fucking loved wearing the mask. He loved the fact that he had gotten his nose broken. I mean, this guy just thrived on adversity and negativity and and his biggest goal in the life was literally to have everybody booing him and then stick it right in their face. And I think the only other person that's maybe like that ever was Jordan. And to some degree, Larry um, was that same type of player. Um, but yeah, you know, I'd agree with that. Like, you know, otherwise I don't know of another guy, Gar- Garnett to some degree. I don't know of another guy that really put on the black hat so willingly like Kobe did and just didn't care. Like he did not care, you know, and he and he talks, you know, some of these really talks about how practice, you know, was and basically, you know, talks about how practice should be harder than the games, you know, and he would basically, you know, expect like you should expect to get your ass kicked at practice. And if you didn't, you were doing something wrong, basically. And that's just not how it is today. I mean, it's absolutely not, you know. Um, and I think it shows. I mean, I think that mentality and those type of warriors are what's missing from the game today. It's a lot of like finesse guys that are talented. Don't get me wrong, very talented, but there's not and there's not these gritty guys who you know have to do dirty work. You know, there's no Charles Oakleys and you know, know. It's a lot of checking from the cheap seats. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I'm not a fan of that kind of play, but that's kind of where the NBA has lost me. But yeah, I mean, it's sorry that, you know, that's my ramble, but it's just, it's, it's, it's insane. Like, I mean, you just, 
you know, you see Shaq is just crushed and Iverson is crushed and Wade is crushed. So it's like, it's not like just one of your heroes died. It's every, it's one of so many people's heroes died, you know? And, you know, and, and people draw the, drew the parallels between him and Jeter because Jeter also played for the Yankees for 20 seasons and, you know, was a similar type of hated, not not nearly as dominant of a player by any stretch of the imagination, but you know the championships and the and the hatred and you know that kind of thing, um, you know, and that's that's how it is. I mean, 20 years and on one team, doing one thing, and 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 he did it so well, and then he was just embarking on the next chapter of his life, and it looked like, like I said, it could have been even better, and then in the blink of a fucking eye right after he passes right after LeBron passes him and it's like you know Kobe sort of like taking on this mentor role for all these guys and really embracing it and then it's just fucking over like it's just it's still hard to to even kind of process you know it, it is wild it's like he passed the torch to LeBron in a sense like with that tweet that was like you know you're carrying on the game and it's just it's crazy, man. Well, and, and then I think that the, the craziest thing is that McGrady talking about how he said that he wanted to die young, and and I can totally see him saying that. I mean, he's you know, like I can almost picture him. He didn't want Gigi to die. I know that, but I you know if he's watching from up there, there's a there's some kind of sick almost satisfaction in the way that he's being talked about right now because I think that's that's what he craved more than anything and it wasn't from a place of insecurity it was almost like I know I'm this good and I'm going to make you understand it like it wasn't like he had a chip on his shoulder because some guys got sometimes guys are insecure and they're playing from that place of insecurity or they're telling you something that's not true it was like no, let me explain to you. I can, I, I can do this, you know. And I think that's why ultimately he pushed Shaq away because he felt like he was never gonna get the, the props and the, you know, that he should get if if he was in Shaq's shadow. Um, you know. I got so, a question for you guys. Yeah. Sure. What's What's your top Kobe moment? I think everybody has one. Even I have one. You know what I'm saying? If you had one moment. The, on the court, what do you think, in your opinion, is your number one moment with him? Mine, it, it was his first All-Star game. I was just so hyped to see him go up against guys like like MJ, you know, and it was just, for me, that was just like this young kid out of nowhere. Like, it, it was just the hype, like, right out of high school. It yeah. was just, you know, that for me, that was just like a, a big moment. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, you know, it's hard to. I guess it's hard to just pick one. I mean, that's. I think that's one. What you just said. Um, The first thing that popped into my mind was the pass actually to Shaq for that. For that alley oop. Yes, that's it. And just that look on Shaq's face, and it was just like I don't know what the time frame on it was. I'm not sure exactly when that was, but it was just like. There was that moment where it was like, oh, shit, this is a thing. Like, like you know, like it just felt like, you know, because, I mean, the, when they were at their peak, 
and really going together well. Like it was just, it was like unstoppable, you know. Um, I mean, the so Western know, Conference Finals against the Trailblazers. Yeah, like I mean, that's just you know, and they had so many. Kobe just had for me like he had so many great battles against the Kings uh, when the Kings were interesting and against the Jazz. Um, you know, it's just it's a guy who you just like I say you just ran the full gamut with him. Like I think you had every emotion about him. You loved him, you hated him, you wanted him to go away, and then you were just like, oh my God, he's still here. Like I can't believe, you know. And and then honestly, like I think that that sixty point game which showed they showed again the other night was just unbelievable i mean that you know sure he took 50 shots but who fucking cares like that was kobe you know he like the just stone cold shooter killer he was getting it he was shooting it right at the end of the day it's like you get the w i don't care what your shooting percentage was we grew up hearing who the next jordan was going to be and we had him right in front of us and i hope everybody appreciated that right but the, the sad part is, too, like, he was just getting into that phase of his life where we're going to start seeing the impact off the court. Like, what he would have done for the woman's game, it's come yeah. a long way. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, like, for him, with him and his daughter, it would have just blown the roof off. You know, like, yeah. he would have just been such a good well, And that's what kills me, too, is that, like, I just, I wish that, like, if he had to die, why did she have to go, too? Because... I felt like even if he tragically died, but she didn't, she would have channeled that and been even greater somehow. You know what I mean? Like she would have. She was like his clone in girl form. It was wild watching her play. Nobody, no 13 year old girls are making fadeaways like that. I mean, no 13 year old boys are like, like the way she was shooting was just like, it was wild. Like, you know, Even watching like, those two practices together, she would like kind of give that little separation and go back. Yeah, and just like, like wow. that's great. Like the shots are like just pure. Like you know, you just look at that. You you look at that person and you say that person is full of basketball talent. Like regardless of who, what gender they are, and and just had that intensity. You know, and, and just like I mean, you just feel so robbed that that you know. Obviously, for them, they're, they were robbed of their own lives. But, you know, selfishly, it's like I, I wanted to see that. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to see this next chapter. I wanted – you know, that's so why I said like we're not just mourning the Kobe that we knew. We're mourning the Kobe that we just saw him be, starting to become. And it's just like, God, like, you know, you know, and everybody. I mean, it's everybody. I mean, everybody's just, you know, from from – you know, uh, I mean, every single person, and 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 then you throw in the, the 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 parent aspect, and you know, people who don't know anything about basketball, have never watched any basketball, you can't see that tragedy of those lives lost, and you know, and not feel just like kind of ripped apart, you know. And for these young guys, like you said. Kobe was it. You know, they grew up, these young guys in the NBA watching Kobe. And the example he was just beginning to set about life after the game. Mm-hmm. And success, and you can do different things, and you don't have to hang on too long yeah. to the game. Yeah, I think Jared Payton and... said, some, said something right. about it on one of the podcasts where he said, you know, he was his next drive was to show that there was more to life after the game or something like that. It may not have been Jared Payton. That might have been... Uh, Pat McAfee, where they were talking about it, is like, 
He could have played. He could have played the NBA for a lot longer. He chose not to because he was ready to show the world that he was more than a basketball player. He was a, a philanthropist. He was, you know, he's a guy that's going to go out and create content for people. And, you know, he yeah. won a Grammy. What, he won a Grammy or Academy Oscar. Award or some shit? Oscar? Yeah, one of the awards. I mean, that's a, you don't get that way just by luck. You get yeah. that way by work and hustle. Oh, yeah, he was going to take that killer instinct into that next phase of his life. Well, and that's the thing, like that the whole mama mentality, the whole thing, like you, you don't when you're when you're our age, you don't really think about that, you know, like meaning that much. But like you said to these young guys, that it did, and they really subscribed to that, you know, and it really meant something to them, um, and it was somebody that they really emulated and and tried to tried to pattern their whole lives after, you know. I mean, it's. Uh, uh, it was uh, one of the things that I saw, which was kind of crazy, is uh, Jason Terry does the um, Kings games uh, pre and post, and he's the coach of the team that they were supposed to play. So Kobe was on his way to go and play in this Mamba, the Mamba Cup. You know, he's, he runs these Mamba camps, and um, you know, it's like his own little <clears throat> girls basketball league that he's started in these camps. You know, just one of the many things he was doing. And Jason Terry was the the coach of the opposing team, and he's coming to the to the you know arena, and then he hears, and he's got to go in there and tell everybody that what happened and that there's not going to be any games. And you see that picture of all the kids like kneeling, you know, and, and like, you know, and I guess he said he didn't even know who it was, but he said somebody like spoke and was really, you know, kind of eloquent. And, you know, like I just, you know, it just, it's, it's a moment that stopped time. Like for that period of time from like 2 PM central to maybe, Five or six o'clock, I want to say, every single person I feel like in the world was glued to their TVs and their phones and the Internet just trying to make sense of it and piece it together and see if it was real, you know. And, I mean, even my wife was in Jamaica, and she's sending me texts about being out at lunch, you know, and and pictures of eating like this jerk food and you know having this nice time and i didn't tell her because i didn't want to ruin it because i was like this is great for her that she's not seeing this you know she's on vacation with her friend and and she's out of this moment and i so i waited probably a couple of hours but then she said like the guy you know like i mean people were starting to talk about it in jamaica you know um by the time, you know, I had texted her because I texted her and she just like gasped and, and the, like, I guess in Jamaica, you have like drivers everywhere, like to get around. And she said, you know, the driver was like, Oh, do you, you know, you, you hear about Kobe? And I mean, just around the world, you know, everybody was just like stopped dead in their tracks. And it's just something that, you know, we're not going to get over it <laughs> for a while. I mean, well, I could definitely see where you and your wife have a special tie to it because that's yeah. something you both did together. And I think, you know, I think we, as fans, we forget how much family is involved with sport, you know. 
I mean, yeah. even though my two my brothers are both on the other side of the ledger with teams, you know, the fact that I shared those moments with them with certain teams and certain athletes and it takes you back to a sentimental place that maybe you wouldn't normally think about, you know, or mm-hmm. but you, no, the I, ironic thing, the game, one game that comes to mind that I was at yeah. was the Tennessee. Uh, they dragged me to the Tennessee, Minnesota game. And it was the week after Corey Stringer had died, you know, and having to deal. They were very distraught, you know, being that's their team. That's their guy, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it was a it was a surreal feeling in the stadium. You know, the Titans mm-hmm. put him on the jumbotron and things of that nature. But you know, yeah, I mean, football's can... family, basketball's yeah. family. The only thing I can I mean, think of that's that's really as similar as like Roberto Clemente. And, you know, obviously I have no – I wasn't around for that. Thurman Munson to some degree, but I think that was more regional, um, you know. But I mean, the, the I've only felt like this a couple times from, like, yeah. uh, athlete passing. I think Lenny Bias really hit home. Lenny Bias, You know, yes. Celtics are near here, and they were saying he was the next Jordan back then. Mm-hmm. It was just tragic. Did a little yeah. too much partying, and that was it. Reggie Lewis – here because yeah. I'm in New oh, England. Yes. Mm-hmm. Reggie was Reggie was a big one. Sweetness, man. Sweetness tore me up. And yeah. Kobe, I man. And what, I wasn't even a late. Yes. Go ahead, Jerry. I, I kind of feel for what Jared Payton's having to do right now. I mean, if if you hear his interviews along Radio Row, it's a lot about how he compartmentalized his life after his father's passing and yeah. trying to explain to people. And I almost feel bad because it's like God. He has to relive that every time. Every time that he talks about it, a part of him has to go back to a place. It's got to yeah. just be a miserable spot for him. I mean, I think it would be amazing, and I don't know if it would ever happen, but it would be amazing if he and the Bryants were to ever get a chance to talk, you know? Like if he could talk to Natalia, Kobe's oldest daughter, you know, because it's it's so similar. I mean, I think Walter was the same you know, in that we were robbed of a of an amazing man, also not just an amazing athlete. You know, because he Too was soon. obviously done playing, but but he was so inspirational in his words and you know and 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 this you know and, and it's the same thing. He would have had a post football life oh, that yeah. was amazing, and you know, and he should still be. I mean, that was like you know, it's like Kobe's supposed to go into the Hall of Fame. Next yeah, year, right. next the, year, yeah. Not even Hall of Fame yet. And Shaq, Shaq was talking about how you know just killed him that that wasn't going to happen. Like he wasn't going to get to share that with him, you know. Um, and it was crazy. Shaq said they hadn't even talked since his last game. Wow. You know, like, and I get it. I mean, Kobe's also the type of person that didn't, you know. I think he had a very, very tight inner circle. You know, and and he was, yeah, he was real all about Fox, I think, right? Yeah, like all about his family, you know, um, you know. But but everybody that came into contact with him is just talks about the same thing, like unbelievably driven. You know, Thibodeau was on the radio a bunch talking about how because he was a coach for the for the uh, 76ers back in the day, and Kobe would come to practice because Kobe's dad was on the Sixers, and 
I mean, he would just talk about how it wasn't normal for a teenager to to want to like, you know, examine and and uh, sort of break down practice and and even try to play and you know and all these different things. And he was talking about how uh, coaching against him when when Thibodeau was the assistant for the for the Celtics was just like you know you could never do the same thing twice against Kobe. You you couldn't like, cause he was going to, he was going to look at what you did last time and find a different way to beat you. Um, and he actually thought he brought up an interesting point was that in some ways Kobe had it harder than Jordan because of his similarities to Jordan, where a lot of, there was sort of a book on Jordan a little bit, not like you could ever really shut him down, but people had strategies, you know, that they, that they built. And because Kobe's game was so similar, um, you know, and then also Jordan never had to deal with zone defenses the way Kobe did. Kobe, you know, played in both eras, but you know, uh, when Jordan, a lot of Jordan's career, zone defense was illegal. You know, um, so it's just kind of interesting. I mean, it just, you know, it's just, you just look at the the span of his career, and obviously the Lakers organization, you know, is just rocked right now. And and I don't know, you know, I mean, this <laughs> everybody is man. Yeah, like I don't know. I how, wasn't even a Laker fan, and I'm rocked. Like it, that's Kobe, man. Like that's yeah. It just it's wasn't just supposed, supposed to be. To, it's just not supposed to be dead. Like you're just not supposed to be talking about Kobe, the guy who's dead. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's yeah, not, exactly. It's not right. Oh. On a lighter side, man, I'd be kind of jealous if my wife was in Jamaica eating jerk chicken. That hits different, man. No that's doubt. like that's Jamaican jerk chicken. It's it's incredible. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't know. I've never been to Jamaica, but um, yeah, she, went, she went with her friend for her 40th birthday. So. Diddy, you nice. you wouldn't get you would never leave Jamaica, Diddy. I went to Jamaica. It's, it's, so Jeff, actually, little uh, it's actually illegal there. People think it's legal. So really? I, went a, I went there on a cruise, and what they do is they'll try to sell you it when you get off the boat, then report you to the boat. Then you get arrested. Oh, the, the boat takes off, and you have to pay for a charter to get to get to the boat, man. Yeah. It's why you think yeah, you're making like, like, some experience. Bro. I guess. I, yeah, I guess. No, they they have, the cruise ship warns you before you get off. Like, like if you're planning on doing point, this, don't. At, yeah, at this point, it's it's um, you can have a little bit on you now. Like you know, like for personal use, and they don't really, um, they don't really. She said they don't really enforce it. But, yeah, this was uh, on our honeymoon, so this was yeah, thirteen years ago. Yeah, so it's a little bit different now, but it's definitely not like it's not like Amsterdam or something. Like people, no, think people like, think that. Yeah, yeah, people think it's just like you know crazy. Um, but yeah, I was you know she she had actually lived there when she was like fourteen years old. Um, her mom taught there, and so she she was actually re um she was reconnecting with some people that she hadn't seen since they were both like 14 15 years old so it was kind of cool uh but yeah it was you know i was jealous of her that she didn't know (laughs) she didn't know yeah that's what happened so yeah i don't know i mean it just sports man I, i i often i don't know i don't really understand people that don't like sports you know, like it's okay if you don't like sports, but I don't really get it. Like I just look at people that don't like sports, and I'm just like, like I know you think you're smarter because you what don't like sports. Are you from? Yeah, like I just don't, <laughs> like I don't see like sports are so dense to me. Like there's so many layers. Like I I don't get how like I can get if you're not super into sports. Like you don't have to be like us like lunatics about sports, but you like to to be just kind of like nah, I don't like sports. It's like. But 
the world likes sports. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, the ultimate, like, the ultimate like, reality TV. Like, is it like, is is it like really that like, you know, out of the seven billion people on the planet, like you're one of like maybe like a million, and and everyone's wrong, and you're right. Like, I like, I just don't. Like it's just confusing to me. Like yeah. I just, yeah, you I know, it. it is what it is. I mean, like I said, sports is family to me. Football is family. Yeah. And uh, the show is family. I mean, y'all are my brothers, and I'm absolutely man. Glad that we uh, get to have these conversations and do what we do. Hell yeah! So that's about it. Um, you know, shout out to everybody for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, hope everybody's doing well. Um, you know. Okay. Get, take something from this. You know what I mean. If what you take from from a tragedy is maybe you, you remember to to hug your your loved ones a little longer, or you know, or um, pay attention a little more to them, or cherish some moments, do it. You know what I mean. Or if you if you're inspired by by Kobe to 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 work a little harder and always give your you know, best. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I mean, just I you think can't always out talent, but you can always outwork. Absolutely, and that's the thing is, it's like you know, nobody worked harder than him. You know, there were more talented people, but nobody worked harder than him. And he didn't, he didn't have to work as hard as he did. He could have, he could have totally just not, you know. And so, you know, I think I hope that that's his legacy, you know. And I hope that it's just not another one of these things where it's like fleeting and then everybody forgets. And you know, but I'm sure on some level it'll be. But you know, it's just. <clears throat> If you can take something from this and, you know, draw on it, you do that. I mean, you know, these type of things, you, you, you'll hold them with you. I mean, you know, you, you, you get, you know, we all have Bears memories that that pop into our heads and for whatever reason they kind of buoy us, you know, in a moment. You know, whether we watch the, the replays on YouTube or, or whatever, or we just think about it in our minds, and maybe they're bad memories, good memories, whatever. But there's just, it's just a, it's, I don't know, it's like the, it's like the, the realness of life. So, that's all. Thanks for listening, everybody. We appreciate you. Um, appreciate the Brawl Network, and uh, keep, keep on, keeping on. Where we got lots of exciting things on the horizon, uh, and uh, that's it, everybody. It's another episode of Dead Tailgate Show. I'm just gonna say R.I.P. G.G.R. R.I.P. Kobe. R.I.P. Kobe, man. That's. Yep. That's that's how I'm gonna end it, man. Love each other.